Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we are discussing the second half of The Warlock, book five of six in our second series. We're almost done with The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel by Michael Scott. We're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. Yes, so as best friends, we're sharing these books with each other, and we turn that project into a podcast. We started with a series that Asia had read, and then we moved on to this one which I had read, so I'm rereading it. And that way you get a range of perspectives. Mine is from rereading, Asia's is from reading it for the first time. And at the end of this episode, we're going to announce our next series. So you have a couple weeks to get your hands on the book if you want to read it, which is really, really exciting. And we're moving back to a series that Asia has read, but I haven't. And it's a really big one. So we're looking forward to that. Yes, and I know we're going to announce it at the end of this episode, and I'm already super excited to say it's super huge news, but we have to be patient. Back to today's episode, and part of the way we run this show is that the newcomer, me in this case, gets to summarize the reading in case you couldn't read along with us. So I'll just go ahead and quickly summarize the second half of The Warlock. Billy and Machiavelli decide they don't want to release the monsters, but Josh sides with Dee and Dare absolutely terrible. And we have a huge reunion party at Sagaglalal's house where Mars, Prometheus, Hell, Odin, Black, Blackhawk, Neaton, the Flamels, and Sophie all receive emerald tablet messages from Abraham that Sagaglalal has held onto them for 10,000 years. So they devise a plan to stop the Lotan and stop D. Sophie learns earth magic and kind of all magic in general, and Josh learns air and all of it, if he's smart enough to figure out how to do everything. The Fab Five have an adventure on Don Utalis, and then Sophie and Josh go back in time with Dee and dare to Don Utalis, where we get a really big reveal at the end of the book. So I'll just quickly go over my first impressions of the reading. I just really started to notice how much Josh, to me, has started to change during this reading, and I think that Clarant has a is a big part of that. I really think it's starting to become very clear that he's being poisoned by this sword because we all know Josh isn't very smart and his betrayal of Sophie was kind of expected, but I feel like in this reading when he sides with Dee and Dare to want to release the monsters on San Francisco on innocent human beings, that just doesn't fully add up for me. I feel like that doesn't necessarily align with his character traits, which like I said, I Josh still sucks, I least favorite character, but I just feel like he's definitely being, his mind is being poisoned and influenced by the sword to kind of make him turn fully evil. I don't know if that's right or if you notice that, Charles. No, I totally agree. I think that, because even though we know Josh isn't smart and he doesn't make great judgment calls, Josh at least, like, his heart is in the right place. He's doing what he thinks is right to save the world. He thinks that, like, the elders coming back will, like, end climate change and end disease and famine and poverty. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to kill people. But Clarant makes his judgment blinded. It's, like, literally touching Clarant and gives him this, like, bloodlust almost. And that's what makes him decide to go with D and Dare in the end anyway. So 
And we've been warned about this. We've been warned the sword's corrupt. We know that's what happened to Mars. And, you know, we kind of got that. And we already saw Deet, Josh using it as a clu- as a as a crutch. He always grabs Claron. Even though now he has powers, he still, like, generally tends towards using the sword to give him strength. And there was a price for that, as we've seen. But for me, my impression was basically that about the inevitability of all of this. And we talked about this. And we definitely still have free will, and we're not saying anything like that. And we'll definitely get into that, too. Like, there were definitely options for different timelines, different pathways for each of the characters. But we know that all of this was at least foreseen and predicted as a possibility because we get the tablets and we get Sagagalal and Abraham's plan. And there's just, as we talked about last episode, there's really a sense that all of this was at least a possibility. And that's, it's kind of like mind blowing as you read on and trust me, it's just going to keep going. So we can jump right in. We start with Paranel using Tsagagwalal and Sophie to resurrect Nicholas. And she gets kind of savage and desperate while she's doing it. And it's kind of tragically beautiful, if you ask me. Like, she's so desperate to save him. Like, it's clear that she loves him a lot. But she gets kind of, like, mean almost and a little vicious. And during that, actually, we get proof that Sophie is, like, super powerful because she's able to enter Josh's mind and, like, help him identify the monsters and, like, reach out to him. But when Josh tries it, like, five minutes later, he can't do it on command like Sophie because he has no control. Maybe this is one of those things that Paranel was talking about, like, Sophie's more powerful than him. Maybe. But speaking of Sophie in this scene, this is when I realized or I'm putting on the table predicting that I think Sophie and Josh are the original twins. So the original silver and gold twins they've been talking about who fought on Donutalis and brought about the fall. I think that they are those twins and they're going to travel back in time because during this scene, while Sophie's holding hands with Sagagalal and Paranel, she can see some of their memories. And in the memory of, in the memories of Sagagalal, she sees them on Donu Tallis and she sees like Scatty and all the people she's met. And then she sees, she's like herself. And then she's like, or someone who looks just like me. So I was like, it has to be them. Like to me at this point, we've had a lot of different elders when they've met them, they recognize them. So I just, to me that that's what makes sense. Well, you know, I will not be spoiling it, but we did get another elder in this reading who Nereus, when he sees Josh, she's like, I know you. And he was on Donatalis. So I think it's a compelling theory. You know, I'm very good at not spoiling things. So either way, I'm not going to confirm or deny. But I do think that it's like literarily, like we have the steps there. Like that, that could be, I don't know how that like gets figured out, basically, like how the timelines get figured out that they are both the original twins and also born in the 21st century. But I think that. Like, I think that you're absolutely right that we have, I mean, we literally have Tsagagalal's memory. It's from 10,000 years ago that Sophie's a, is in, so. Yeah. And we know that, we already know at the end of this reading, they go back in time. So we're definitely going to get them on Donutalis. So whether yes. the original twins or not, we'll see. Speaking of Donutalis, we get a really dramatic Marethu and Aten convo. And I really like that Aten is really reasonable and composed. Like, he's not evil, we know later that he becomes a dark elder, like he's Machiavelli's master, and he's a dark elder after the fall. But before the fall, he's really likable and reasonable, and he just wants, like, Donutalis to thrive. 
I kind of like that. Well, all I was thinking about when we were reading about Donna Tallis in the flashback or whatever was that we finally get to see Bustette and, you know, they're talking about the change. <laughs> and I guess I never noticed before, but they said that she, in addition to having a cat head, she also has paws for hands. Yes. Like, I don't know how you missed this, but also I had to write down a quote because my original assumption is definitely accurate because it says, and I quote, her head and hands were those of a huge cat. So that she definitely has a bobblehead <laughs> mask on head size cat head. And in addition to that, she has some giant paws for hands. So she would be, like I said, very terrifying, but also hilarious at the same time. Yeah, I'm massaging my cat as we, I'm giving her little snuggles right now. And I'm just imagining her giant head on a woman. Like that's Bustette. <laughs> Also, I love that the writing is like the change was really cruel to her. I'm like, yeah, she got paws. Like, that's awful. Yeah. She went from having opposable thumbs to having claws. But that yeah. We got we got that confirmation. We got the huge head. I noticed that word, and then Asia pulled that quote out. And, you know, just planning a coup, looking ridiculous. I think it's probably that part of the episode where we catch up all our plot lines, because we have so many plot lines. We have our huge reunion party at Aunt Agnes's house. So all those characters that Asia mentioned in the summary are there. And it starts with Mars. You know, he arrives and he and Prometheus immediately attack each other because, you know, they're like best friends, brother-in-laws turned enemies when Mars betrayed the humans and Prometheus is like, you're a terrible person. But mm -hmm. they they like launch each other themselves at each other. And Sagagal comes out and she's like, stop that. Give me the sword. Stop fighting. Like, she, like, treats them like very small children. Like, she's the boss grandma. And they're all like, we're sorry, Mistress Sagagalel. We're so, so sorry. And it's like, she's not even an elder. And they all still, like, listen to her. Yeah. And also with Mars, you know, we've been kind of trying to keep track of the morality behind Zephaniah's punishment for him. And Mars, it sounds like he's just completely forgiven her because... He ends up saying that, you know, once this is all over, if he survives, he's going to go pay Kronos a visit to try and get her eyes back because, you know, she traded her eyes for the gift of sight and now she has like mirror eyes. And so I'm just like, he's not only ready to forgive her, but he's also willing to go out on a limb for her to try to get her back her eyes. Just to me, that was way too easily forgiven. Yeah, so... Clearly the elders have no perception of time or they get over things way too quickly. Like Mars must have been like, well, she did put me in jail for a couple thousand years, but it's because she just thought I was going to be the best person to do, you know, some hired murder. So I'll go do something nice for my wife afterwards. Like biologically, the elders clearly are too transactional, not sentimental enough. One might even say inhuman. <gasps> but um, shit, what? Sorry, I just... Anyway, that's... I, I like to point that out because it's something I didn't know, really register when I first read the series, is, like, the yeah. concrete and distinct differences. Like, they're a separate race from humans. It's not just, like, they're special, like, people. We've talked about this, but anyway. Just felt like I need to say it again. But Sagagalal gives everyone these gorgeous emerald tablets. Speaking of which, Asia, um, I would like an emerald tablet as my next gift. Just, like a large block of emerald as a notebook for Christmas? It's just funny because when they said tablets, you know, I'm thinking of, like, she gave them, like, green iPads. 
I mean, like, honestly, no, I like it was a little bit like, of a precursor because they do so many different fun things, like an iPad. Yeah, it's like a slab of rock is actually what yes. it is. Yes, like Roman, <laughs> like, you know, writing decrees yeah. on tablets. But honestly, they're kind of more like iPads because, like, Paranels is basically a TV. Sophie's is the Notes app. Then also, like, her Sophie's becomes, like, the Google Maps. Plus, it also teleports mm-hmm. her. Like, Abraham, like, basically had iPads. Basically. You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> but basically, these tablets, they kind of are individual messages for each of these people. And that's a random array of people. So basically, Abraham knew everything that was going to happen. or And he'd been able to figure out that, you know, the twins are so- Sophie and Josh Newman. And that one of them will save the world and one of it will end it. And then he kind of gives everyone instructions on what they're supposed to do. Yeah, which is kind of a great segue to catch up with Team Alcatraz, the bad guys. And they are going to release the blood-sucking Lotan, which is effectively like a Hydra. And D, of course, wants to control it since he's the most evil of all. Interjection, we talked about this last episode, but this is a plot hole-ish. Because Nereus should attack D on sight. D has been declared Utlaga. He's an enemy of the elders. He's an outlaw. Maybe you can explain it away by the fact that Nereus has been in the ocean this whole time, so he hasn't, like, gotten the, like, elder memos. But I'm like, he should have been told that, you know, D is, like, pretty, like, he should attack D on sight. The fact that he's cooperating with him doesn't really work. But whatever. Most importantly, we get our four-book payoff of Machiavelli having more humanity than D. We've been talking about it for so long. And he says to Billy, he's like, I see San Francisco as full of individuals, which as Ages always pointed out, that's how Nicholas would see it. He literally tells Josh that in Paris. See people as individuals, you won't want to kill them. And Machiavelli and D decide that they don't want to release the monsters. And here we have it. This is why Machiavelli is my favorite character. Because he shows growth. And let's even pull up that quote that Billy says to Machiavelli. He says, the promise given was a necessity of the past. The word broken is a necessity of the present to justify breaking their oaths. Yeah, but that moment was actually just super cute because Billy says it to Machiavelli and it's actually a Machiavelli line from history. So he was literally quoting Machiavelli. So I just, I like that. I do too. But speaking of the bad guys, I have some things to say about our favorite bad woman, Virginia, who honestly just seems really unbothered by Dee's unpredictability with his plans. And I'm just assuming that's because she's just confident she'll survive on her own no matter what. But Josh should definitely be worried with how erratic Dee is becoming. Yeah. Like, Virginia shouldn't, neither of them should trust D, but at least Virginia, we know she can kind of take care of herself. Like, that flute, no one's got a defense mm-hmm. against it. But he makes, D keeps making promises he can't keep. Like, it's literally like every time he fails, he goes, like, he bargains, like, five chips higher. Like, he's mm-hmm. like, I can't awaken Kowat like you. Guess that means that I'm not just going to rule this world. I'm going to rule all the world. Like, yeah. D, you have no track record to prove it. And, like, the elders have even said it, like, D's been, like, their most effective agent in almost everything except getting the Flamels. And it took him a really long time, and he still couldn't even get the Flamels. He still didn't even kill both of them, and he still couldn't get the whole Codex. Like, D is not that good at his job, 
and he keeps going, like, asking for a raise. Like, Empress of the Shadow Realms. Do you have no track record to prove that you can give Virginia that job title? Well, yeah. Also, just for him, he's been getting more erratic and irrational as, you know, he gets more worried that the elders, his masters are going to catch up with him. So he's starting to make mistakes and get sloppy. So it's just, like, not a good look. Like, they definitely shouldn't trust him. They shouldn't put put all their eggs in one basket. Like, they need to have backup plans, But and which I'm sure Virginia does, but I highly doubt Josh does. Josh doesn't. I mean, it's like D says, what's the most dangerous animal? A cornered animal. Like, D is that cornered animal, but he keeps going crazier yeah. and crazier. <laughs> and then Machiavelli and Billy get incapacitated and imprisoned by D, Dare, and Josh. So as Paranel tells Sophie, Josh chose D again, which, of course, I'm sure was heartbreaking. And she just says he's completely lost to their cause. And like we, like I mentioned earlier, like I do think it's specifically because of Clarant. Holding Clarant is really ruining Josh's judgment and encouraging him to trust D. But Josh also just, to begin with, has terrible instincts because he even says, though he doesn't fully trust D, he does trust Virginia, which like that makes absolutely no sense to me. Like, first of all, you should trust neither of them. But like Virginia is clearly a very dangerous character and trust no one. And she's been on her own for a long time. So like she's probably not that loyal. Like she can very easily betray somebody if it means for her survival. So I just, I didn't like that comment, which I guess could point towards the fact that, you know, maybe he has a little crush on her. So he's like, yeah, I definitely trust her. I feel like it definitely has to do with like, he's like, she's pretty. I like her. I'm going to trust her. (laughs) And I'm like, she's 400 years older than you. And she's a killer. Like (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but also, I mean, that whole scene, I just, I really didn't understand why he wouldn't side with Machiavelli. Because he's always preferred Machiavelli over D because, you know, Machiavelli, like we said, has held on to some humanity, seems like his decisions are more calculated and rational, whereas D's don't fully make sense. Like, he's just working for the elders, like, and also just has no moral compass at all. So that's why I said, like, I definitely think it has to do with Clarant, like, convincing him to just join D blindly, like, no matter what. Yeah, I totally would agree. I think that Clarant definitely has a role in it. But I do think that, like, Josh also has, through decisions and Claron, like, he's also just become a little more vicious and almost strategical. Like, in, like, a, he kind of, because, you know, we have, we know he has Mars as, like, strategy brain. Like, he does think about things as, like, groups of people rather than individuals, as, you know, Machiavelli discussed. And I think that he's also just, he's not that bright. Like, he's really just not that smart. And he... Like, because I think that a smarter character would have been able to resist the swords a little better. But D- Josh isn't smart enough to think that way. He's he's basically, like, in the same situation I would assume Mars was put in mm-hmm. when he was given. Was he given Clorant? He had Clorant and Excalibur, but he preferred Clorant. So, yeah. So, him giving, him taking those swords, like, I think Josh is obviously going through the same thing right now. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's catch up. One of our other our other plot line, which is Danutalus. Yes, because Scatty kind of talks about how she misses Aoife, her sister, and wishes she were there to help her since she's always been the strategist. Because, you know, like we said, they're trapped in the volcano prison and Scatty has no idea how she's going to get them to escape. And Scatty actually tries to connect 
with Aoife, just kind of like how Sophie and Josh have connected like telepathically. And she only sees darkness, but she can also kind of sense like that there's something else there. So that must mean that she actually did connect with Eva because we know that Eva is in the shadow realm with Coatlicue. So I just thought it was interesting. And I mean, later we get a little point to like, Scotty's probably going to have to go save her. But I liked that. I did too. It's actually a really nice foil to see that as Josh and Sophie grow more estranged, Eva and Scotty get closer. Like both, yeah. like Eva only went into the shadow realm to help get Scotty back into her life. And Scotty, you know, the further she gets away from Aoife, the more she misses her. And it's like, it's really kind of sweet because they were the reason, like their relationship is kind of our biggest like indicator that Sophie and Josh were going to split. Like every time Aoife talked about that relationship, we were like, well, these are now twins are going to have to split. But it's kind of nice that as the twins of legend get further apart, these two twins get closer together. Mm-hmm. And while Scatty doesn't actually get them out of the prison, Scatty starts them with some fun stunts and Vimana hopping because Prometheus has been sent to come save them, young Prometheus. And the Fab Five, like, jump onto the Vimanas, and, you know, finally they make their way in to Prometheus's ship. And Scatty keeps calling him uncle because she's forgotten that she doesn't exist yet. And Prometheus is like, I don't have a niece. I don't know who you are. Stop touching me. And she's like... <laughs> She's like, well, I will be your niece one day. Which, like, it was cute at first. It kind of got annoying that she kept calling him uncle because I was like, Scatty is such a professional. Like, yeah. she's so ruthless. Like, I get it. If that's, like, if you've been thinking of this person as your uncle for 10,000 years, it would take more than five minutes to, like, stop seeing them that way. But also, like, Scatty is, like, a ruthless professional. And, like, it can't have a lot of good effects to keep calling him uncle and being like, you will have a niece one day. Like, like, <laughs> and it'll be me. <laughs> yeah. Like Scatty should have shown a little more self-control if you, if you ask me. Yeah. I see that for sure. Also, cause I don't know if that necessarily like. Butterfly effect her, things. Like yeah. matches her character that like she would do that. But anyway, they have a huge chase with lots of ampu. Is that how you say that? I say anpu, but. Anpu, they're like, they're like the dog things. Again, They're Anubis's like little 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 puppy 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 people. <gasps> Let's call them the puppy people. <laughs> well, they're not they're not good puppy people. They're scary. They're scary. But they have a whole bunch of strategies, you know, to knock out the other Vimana, and finally they get to Abraham's tower where they see young Gilgamesh, and they help him fight the Ampu. So we basically have Don Utalis in a full war at this point, and Anubis. And the Ampu are in Kumo trying to capture Abraham, Aten, Marithu, the Fab Five, and anyone else that is sympathetic to them, like Prometheus, Sagaglalal, and Gilgamesh, whom we find out is Sagaglalal's brother. Yeah, so like once the tablets are read back in San Francisco, we have the crew going to the island, we have the crew going to beat the Lotan, and then we basically have Sagaglalal explaining everything to Sophie. Well, not everything, as we're going to see at the end of the reading. But she does explain some things. Basically, she's like, my brother and I, Gilgamesh and I, were made immortal, and they were responsible for watching over the family lines where the Twins of Legends would show up, the Newman family tree on both sides. But, and 
Abraham gave these two, like his wife and his brother-in-law, this immortality with Archon Tech, which is a pretty good indicator that Abraham wasn't himself immortal. I mean, he wasn't himself an elder. We're a little, we're still not clear because the change happens to him. But if he was an elder, he could have just given them immortality. But it specifically says that he uses Archon technology and it doesn't go right with Gilgamesh. So Gilgamesh's brain gets destroyed in the process. Well, maybe that was because that was like the beginning of humans. And so maybe the elders didn't, didn't know how to do it yet. Humans mm. immortal yet. True. Okay. So maybe Abraham was an elder, but couldn't grant immortality. That's true. But either way, like we find out that Gilgamesh, basically he's given this immortality, but his it doesn't go quite right. So he starts getting crushed by the memories. And Sagagal and Sophie decide that if Sophie can get her hands on the codex and she can reverse the immortality smell, spell, like do it in reverse, that Sagagal and Gilgamesh could be freed of their immortality and pass on, which would be very nice for them because they've been around for 10,000 years. Yeah. And as we were kind of talking about in the last episode, I was keeping track of the tears. And Sagagalal's tears actually create white jasmine flowers in the grass when she's like crying while they're out in the field. And again, Sophie has silver silver tears. So at this point, we can just assume that yes, your aura color determines your tear color, which is just an interesting detail. Yeah, thank God we didn't see Nicholas crying. Because, like, all of these colors we've gotten so far have been, like... I mean, the red was terrifying. But, like, the white and the silver, it's, like, kind of, like... Like, it would be scary, but it would, like, be... I think they'd like, all be, like, kind of gross. Like, if I think they'd all be gross, but can you imagine green... Eyes? Can you imagine green tears? Red tears? Just, disgusting. Well, we already saw red tears, and to me, red tears would be the worst because it looked like you were crying blood, which would be gross. <laughs> Yeah, and Prometheus is literally described... No, it's Mars. Mars that has a blood-red aura. Disgusting. Disgusting. I don't want to think about it. Okay. But another part of this conversation that's really interesting is that basically, like, Tsagagolal and Gilgamesh had this job. And all of this was part of Abraham's plan. And, like, part of the jobs were, like, to get the codex. The codex was made so that the twins would have an instruction book to save the world. And but part of, like, the plan was, like, someone had to take care of the Codex until it got to them, which is why it's, like, not touchable by elders because, you know, Abraham didn't want the elders to get their hands on it. And Paranel and Nicholas' job was only to protect the Codex. It wasn't actually to find the twins. That being said, obviously no one told them that. And they're good people and they wanted to save the world. So they made the next natural decision, which was we have to find the twins and train them. But... Like, they had free will. So, you know, if you're starting to get this feeling that, like, everything was preordained, like, it clearly wasn't. Because if the Flamels didn't have any free will, they would have just found the Codex and then went into hiding until the twins revealed themselves. They, like, still had the option to, like, pursue how they wanted to with the Codex. But it turns out that they didn't really have to find the twins because Tsagagula was already looking over them. And, like, again, more proof of free will... Abraham wrote a tablet for Josh and a tablet for Sophie. Like, he didn't know which twin it would be. And he even says it in the, in the tablet to Sophie. He's like, you're powerful, I'm sure. But you can still, you could still end the world. Like, it's still up to you. Like, it's still, at this point, it still hasn't even been decided which one is. I mean, personally, I think that it has. But, like, at this point, like, 
it's still, they still get to choose. Sophie and Josh still get to choose. Yeah, so they definitely still have a little bit of free will and ultimately making the biggest decision ever. To continue segueing along, we now get some more magic teaching. So, and I mentioned the foil earlier of the twins and the twins. We kind of get a foil at the same time of Dare. She's teaching Josh air magic as Sagaglalal is teaching Sophie earth magic. Yeah, and we get that payoff that Charles has been talking about the whole series, that, you know, every other time someone's been taught one of the magics, they go through that whole formula of, you know, this magic is better than all the other magic, it's the most powerful, and Virginia Dare, she's like, I don't really know that, and I don't really care, but at the same time, <laughs> Skogglelol is like, all magics are actually the same. None are worse or better. It's the same approach either way. And she talks about it all just has to do with like your imagination and all that. Yeah, and she says it really explicitly. She's like, if you want water to make a shape, you just think the water makes a shape. You just think water makes a shape. But like the same thing with Earth or anything else. And it's kind of what Dare says too. Dare's a little less clever about it. Like, or I guess Dare's a little more indirect. And maybe it's because she thinks in the sort of like the four elemental magic way. Like, Sagagala is like, they're all the same. You know, how are you going to yeah. distinguish one from the other? Because you could make that argument for like water. Like water moving in one direction is you controlling the water or it's you controlling the air around the water. And Dare is like, it's really up to your imagination, Josh. And if Josh were smart, maybe he could like project further that like it's all just about imagination. But he's not smart enough to do that. And no, like, he's not. Also, I don't... Based on what Virginia says, I don't really think she gets that either because Sagagala... She says it kind of like it's a hidden gem that like not many people know. Because, I mean, obviously, like, Josh and Sophie so far, they've been trained in all these magics individually. So obviously no one else knew that or didn't believe it because they're still teaching them very separately. So... I, and I just, for Josh's character, like, there's no way he would figure that out. But yeah, at least we see that Dara can fly, which is pretty cool, because I guess she's able to manipulate the air around her. Yeah, that was really awesome. And something that you just made me think of is, like, yeah, definitely it's, like, a hidden gem piece of knowledge that Sagagala has figured out that it's really just about imagination and, like, visualizing it. And then, and we've kind of gotten that from Shakespeare too. He's like, the only reason I'm good at magic is because I like, I can think of fun things. And you know how like Gilgamesh, he teaches them water and he doesn't have an aura. I wonder if the technology process of giving him immortality is what took away his aura is what like corrupted him because it also, they, Nicholas even says that he knows all magic, but he only, he's an, like, he's the water master, but he knows all magic, but he can't do any of it because he doesn't have an aura. I wonder if he lost his aura in the immortality process. But what about Sagagalal? Well, she has an aura. She has a white aura. So, like, just, well, I guess I said just his immortality process got messed up. Yeah, because she can still remember everything fine. It's like specifically went wrong, something went wrong with him. But I know for the whole imagination thing, I think it was also just important because Sagagalal, she also is just emphasizing, you know, that it's more about your aura and how powerful you are. So I feel like that, like coming back to Sophie and Josh, like they both have very pure, powerful aura. So like they should be able to do ev- anything as long as they believe in it and have a wild enough imagination. So like... 
as I between the two of them, obviously, like I think like Sophie to me, obviously, I think maybe that goes back to Paranel's comment about how Sophie will always be better than Josh because I think Sophie will always believe in it a little bit more and like maybe have just a little bit more self-confidence because she knows that what she's doing is like for the right reasons. I don't know. Yeah, possibly for sure. But it's true that D can dare can fly, which is pretty awesome. She's like our little evil queen, or I should call her her proper title, Empress of the Shadow Realms. But yeah, let's dig into Virginia a little bit more. Because when Virginia tells Josh to picture something he loves, he can't see Sophie's face. He says he can't picture it. And instead, he sees a golden ball that shifts into what I was assuming was a page from the Codex because Mm -hmm. it had moving text on it. Mm -hmm. Which to me also just points to the fact that, you know, Josh is starting to love power and like gaining knowledge over everything else, which is really sad. Because also I'm just like... I think they have, like, an earlier conversation, or Virginia's like, do you love your sister? And he hesitates in answering, and I'm like, I understand if you're upset with your sister, but now you don't love her anymore? Like, I just, I don't know. I I do think it's partially, you know, Josh being terrible, but it's definitely, like, he is being poisoned. Yeah. By the swords. But I also just wanted to ask, because Virginia gives Josh a whistle trigger for air magic, and I was just wondering why Sophie didn't need any kind of trigger for when she does the air magic. I'm wondering if it has to do with an elder versus human thing. Because Sophie learns it directly from the Witch of Endor, who's got to be, like, one of the first masters of air. She So, like, she's got to be, like, top-tier air goddess. And Dare is a human who learned it, and pro- kind of almost sounds like she kind of taught herself. Um, and so it makes sense that, like doing it the elder way, like the proper way, you wouldn't need it necessarily a trigger. You'd just be able to do it. But like, if you're doing it like in a human way, you would need the trigger. But because Sophie learned it from an elder, she didn't need a trigger. What about though, because for fire magic, you know, Sophie learns it from Francis, who's a human, but then Josh learns it from Prometheus, who's an elder, and they both get triggers. That's true. I'm wondering if like, I'm not sure. I don't have an answer for you. I think that like I was just maybe, wondering. Again, maybe it's because Sophie's more powerful. She doesn't need she doesn't need a crutch to like start it up. Yeah. And like That's how I feel. Maybe Prometheus was like, well, look at this impatient human. He can't he like he needs food before teaching. Like he's oh, such yeah. a whiner. Like I better give him a big button because he won't figure out how to do it otherwise. <laughs> And we have to mention a couple other things in this scene. One, Dare knows that Josh has the pages, which is pretty good indicator that she doesn't trust D. Like Dare is looking out for number one as she always, as we expected. But like, if she was really like a hundred percent like betting on D completely, she would tell D like, or she would just take the pages. Like we know she yeah. could do that. Like she's got a plan, or at least like she's keeping a backup plan. And this is like me being like a little like literary analysis, like armchair professor. But we get what I'm personally expecting is kind of like an insight into Michael Scott's views on fear. Because like where you use a character basically to like make an assertion about the world. That's like a, an opinion. But basically Dare says like we always find it easier to visualize things we fear. Which is why we visualize. 
which is why we fear the dark, because in the dark we can see things, like we can imagine things better because there's nothing Mm -hmm. else to look at. And I wonder if, like, that's, like, a truth about, like, fear that Michael Scott, like, kind of wanted to, like, insert into the writing. Like, that it's easier to be fearful than, like, it is to be brave. Like, it's easier to, like, imagine fear than it is to imagine bravery. And, like, I always, you guys know by listening to the show, I always bring up Harry Potter. But we have, like, a moment like that in, actually, a really, really similar moment in Harry Potter where... Dumbledore talks to Harry, I think it's book six, and he talks about, like, how humans don't fear the dark. They fear the unknown, and the dark is just a space of the unknown. And so, like, reading this line where she talks about, like, using the dark as, like, how we imagine fear, like, because it's literally the same example of, like, using the dark, I just, it just, like, stood out to me. I was like, oh, I wonder if Michael Scott is making a really profound statement on, like, how much easier it is to be scared than it is to be brave, which is what we have with Josh. He's always so scared he can never be brave until a sword gives him magical mushroom powers. <laughs> okay, I don't think that the swords make him high, but I do think they, like, his bravery always comes from using the swords. And with them having learned their new magics, it means we're basically at the end. Let's wrap it up. We got some lines to finish. While we still have the Lotan crew, which Nicholas basically defeats the Lotan with a simple transmutation spell and turns it back into an egg. So that wasn't very exciting. Yeah, I know it was rather anticlimactic because you get like four, like three immortal humans and an elder to go defeat this thing. But, you know, Paranel was like, it's totally worth it to give Nicholas one of my days. And it seems to have paid off because Nicholas barely used any auric energy to defeat that thing. And they better save up their energy because there's a bunch of monsters coming their way. Yes. And then we can also wrap up the Fab Five who they each get like little speeches from Abraham as he's finishing the Codex. And the two that mainly stood out to me was that what Abraham said to Joan and Francis, it just made me think of that one of them is not going to survive the like battle that's coming, which favorite couple here. Like I'm, that's definitely going to break my heart because they're just meant to be together. And, but like he says, like one of them will have to make a decision or something or so it just, it just seemed really not good. It sounded like negative. So I'm. And it sounded like Palamedes is going to like die protecting Shakespeare. Like Shakespeare is going to have to do like, something. I don't care like, as much about them. I'm more worried about the love story. I like their bromance yes. slash question romance. No, I know they're bros. But like, yeah, Shakespeare is like, we know that he has like really imaginative magic and like he probably is going to have to, like what if Shakespeare the one is the one who has to like visualize Danatalus splitting apart and Palamedes has to like sacrifice himself defending Shakespeare. Like I don't, it was all kind of like tragic. There's another one yeah. I know you want to talk about. And then like I kind of, pointed to earlier with Scatty, he tells Scatty and confirms that Aoife is trapped with Coatlicue and that Scatty is her only hope of being saved. So, I mean, I don't know if we're going to necessarily get this in the rest of the series in the last book, because I'm assuming it's going to be the big battle on Donatals. I don't know how long that's going to take up. But at this point, I would assume that, you know, after this is over, Scatty's plan is now going to go try to save her sister, which, you know, is good because it's good that they'll be able to reconnect. But then also I just noted... Niten, oh sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But like <laughs> Scatty and Niten, like going off to find Aoife, like that would be the spinoff show that we would watch. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway. Like, can you imagine <laughs> swords and nunchucks? Like, katanas and doubles. Like, four swords. I Like, that's, that's like, scatty action series. Defeating double snake goddess lady. Like, yes, that's what I want. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. Especially because, like, how do they get to the Shadow Realm? It's, like, really dark. Like, it would definitely be an interesting, interesting story to hear or see. But anyway... Back to Donatolis. Also, I wrote down because Marithew basically, like, comes and, like, he saves them. And when they, like, climb, Scatty, like, climbs in the ship or whatever to see him, he's, like, crying. And he's weeping for the death and destruction he caused in order to save them. And Scatty just says that this makes him, makes her trust him immensely because he clearly has not lost his humanity. So I'm just, like I said, I just really know, wanted to know who this person is. Who is he? Which character is Marathew? Like, I'm so, like, that is the only thing I really want to know. Well, let's save it for the end because you texted me that you have a theory. We'll save your theory for the end. We got one more big plot line to finish up because on the island we have Mars, Odin, and Hell. And they show up, but they immediately get chased away by the Sphinx, because obviously if the Sphinx gets their auras, they're magical, but useless. They won't have any armor. I'm hoping that Ariapanop shows up, because she's still on the island, and she's been recuperating for like a day or two, like in her cocoon. I know you don't want to see a spider, Asia, but like... I do not want to see her. <laughs> like, whatever it takes to get rid of the Sphinx, and we need all the help we can get to beat those monsters. So, we'll see. Well... Also, Virginia Virginia actually stops D from killing Billy with the with the Sphinx, which you know I was like, oh, that's good. But then right after that, she uses her flute to wake up all the monsters and send them to San Francisco, which is very very bad. Yeah, so D can't awaken the monsters with Machiavelli's little slip, and we aren't sure why. And Machiavelli seems to know, and he's like, I'll be an all sassy. He's like, I'm not gonna tell you. Your pronunciation is quite excellent, m- magician. But blah 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 blah. And then we get Billy Sass, where he grabs the Sphinx's tongue. Like, I chortled, chorkled, chuckled. I chuckled and chortled (laughs) a little bit, because he grabs the Sphinx's tongue. And he's like, don't you dare. And then Virginia even calls the Sphinx a raggedy lion creature. But, you know, then she betrays us, and she uses the flute to wake up the monsters. And now we have Dee and Dare and Josh opening the cages. Opening the cages. We literally see Josh. And also, like, this, like, kind of, like, major sitcom vibes. Because, like, Sophie's, like, watching it on the tablet, I believe. Or, like, maybe it's some from some other character's description. But, like, I just imagine the three of them, like, running around crazy, like, opening these cages. Like... She, I think she's she's looking through Josh's point of view. That's and it. he looks at the tablet... Or something. He looks at something and it's reflective. So she sees his face and like how much his face has changed. Mm-hmm. Like he's got like lines under his eyes and stuff. Like the evil badness has like made him. It's literally corrupted look his face. Different. Yeah. But I just imagine the three of them like running around Alcatraz. Like I got this one. I got this one. Like like evil Pokemon Go. Like they're just like releasing all these terrible monsters. <laughs> but just like terrible. it's so irredeemable to me. Like there's nothing Josh can do. Because even though he, you know, was influenced by Clarence, like, these are still his actions. Like, he still needs to be held responsible for, like, unleashing what will be certain death unless our good guys can stop it. Yeah. And then basically we have, you know, 
Abraham's iPads, not only are Google Maps, they're also Google Transport. So Sophie just uses that Emerald tablet as a legate. She pops up on Alcatraz. She's like, Josh, come with me. I will forgive you. We can make all this right. And Josh is like, I am full dark side. I must go with Dean Dare. You are so evil. You beat my girlfriend, who was a beautiful goddess in a sword gate. And Dean Dare, they reopen the sword gate. Dean Dare go in. Josh is like, I'm going. Sophie's like, well, I'm not letting you go by yourself. So she grabs on. The two of them fall through the sword portal. They land in Danutalus, where Isis and Osiris are there. And Dee's like really scared. He's like, oh my God, my masters, be nice to me. And? And they're like, Sophie, Josh. And then Sophie and Josh say, mom, Mom, dad. dad. Which, okay, I understand, big reveal. That was, like, literally the bum, last bum, line bum. of the book. <laughs> and so, okay, if Isis and Osiris are Josh and Sophie's parents, like, to, I just have way, like, I have too many questions. Because for one, like, so does that mean that they've just been, obviously they've been immortal and then they just decided to have kids then? Or are they, did they actually birth these children? And then if Sophie and Josh... Are their children, are they next generation? Like, because aren't they elders? Like, wouldn't they not be humans? Or are Isis and Osiris not really elders? Because then also, like, how have they avoided the change? And then also because, more questions, Sagaglalal talks about how, you know, the woman who watches or she who watches, she's been following their clan from generation to generation. I'm like, well, how could she have been following them from generation to generation if they were born from people who were who were on Danutala 10,000 years ago. Like, none of this makes any sense. Are they not really their kids? And it's actually just going to be like, they said that. But, like, it's, like, they're, like, their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Like, they're of the same clan. Like, I don't know. You're asking all <laughs> the right questions. You're asking all of the right questions. I'm pretty sure I know how this gets resolved. You guys know I won't spoil but like it just doesn't make any sense and then maybe like did they did they do some magic to themselves to like make them like humani i'm like getting so excited i'm like we have to read we have to read cuz it will all be revealed and just like if you know what happens you know that asia is asking every single right question and we will get those answers but it is a huge huge reveal imagine being like young me reading this book reading that line, and then having to wait a full year before the next one came out. This is why we don't read books that write, read book series that aren't finished. You got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us are like that. We're like... Well, more questions just like also because the, that means that like they raised... Did they raise them knowing that they were the twins of legend? Like, because if they're supposed to be... Because also like that, that means that they've been acting as archaeologists or whatever this whole time like in the human world like just living that life and is that why they were away all the time like i just I, because they were because they were actually on Danutalus, like going back in time when they were on their trips like i just that and then also like did they i want to know if they knew because then if they knew that their children were the ones who were going to you know try to take down Danutalus, if they want to keep Danutalus, why would they like would they try to like not have children like I don't know. So many questions. So many questions. Well, that's the thing. Like, you're asking all the right questions, and 
we will get some answers, of course. The thing that, like, I'm looking at is the time travel aspect of it. Because we're now back in Donatella's history. So, we need to know, like, what Isis and Osiris, like, do we have an old Isis and Osiris and a new Isis and Osiris? Because oh, I didn't even think about that. we... That's the thing that, like, and I didn't think about that as much when I first read the series, and I think that's one of the reasons I was always a little confused by the time travel aspect of it. Because the, like, we have two Prometheuses, because we have, like, current Prometheus and Donatalus Prometheus. So we need to know if, like, the Isis and Osiris that just popped up on Donatalus are, like, the Donatalus Isis and Osiris, who, like, knew that Isis and Osiris would also have josh and sophie newman kids one day or whether these are the same ones who were like just popped up in our human world and we're talking to zephaniah and mars and actually raised josh and sophie like are they the ones who have the plan to stop down to talus from falling but if they're so, like we need answers that to that future isis and osiris because they recognize them. they too. said their names so unless they have children on donatalus with the exact same names and they look exactly the same yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to get some answers. It all is part of Isis and Osiris's plan to not have Donatalus fall, and we know that the basically they or have. Or did they use magic to just plan, look like their parents, and it's all a lie? Who knows? Who knows? Well, I know, but I'm not gonna tell you. Um, but another <sighs> thing is like they had to keep both twins alive if they are like. For their plan, because one of them has to fulfill the plan. Like, one of them, one of the twins is to save the world and one is to destroy the world. So, like, and whatever their is plan which. is, like, if it sounds like everyone needs a twin to fulfill the roles. Like, it's just a question of which role you want a twin to fulfill. But it's a huge, huge reveal. I cannot wait to read and have you figure it out, but... You are asking all the right questions. I'm not going to mention them because I don't want to spoil anything, but, like, make sure you read because we're going to get some answers. Oh, gosh. And do you still want to go over your theory for Marethew? I guess. I, I don't know if this is – I don't think this is necessarily right, but this is what I formed based off, based off of this reading because the only hint Charles has given me is that he is a character that we've already met. He's somebody in the – in the universe. He's not somebody we haven't met before. Yeah, he's someone in the universe. I've told her that because, like, as we kind of talked about last series when we were talking about Percy Jackson, like, if the betrayer had been a random character, the spy had been, like, a character that we'd never heard of, the reveal of who the character is is terrible. Like, when we found out that Selena Beauregard was the spy in Percy Jackson, I always, well, one, I predicted who it was. Um, kudos to me. But... Two, like, we needed it, – it, it's it's terrible writing for the big reveal of an identity to be someone that we don't know. So, I mean, it could be that it's an elder that we're going to meet on Dontalus in the next book or something like that. But, like, Marethew being this ever-present present essence that we've kind of been hearing about for, like, the whole series, it doesn't make a lot of, like, literary or chronological or, like, interesting sense if it's some random person. Yeah, and then also because, I mean, since there's so much time travel right now in the book, it's it's very easily explained that it's somebody we already know because 
That could just be them from the future who goes back really far in the past. Like, <laughs> so anyway, my theory, no one at me for this. This is just my theory based on what we've read so far is that I think Matthew is Josh. I think that he could possibly be Josh based off of, we know that he has light hair, he has very bright blue eyes, and they also say that he wears jeans. He wears like denim pants. Yeah. And then he also wears like a chain link top. So if he's wearing jeans, I would assume that he's somebody who probably originates from modern times. Like, you know, jeans have only been around, what, since like the 19th century? 20th century? 20th century. 20th century, right? Jeans in the 1900s. In the 1800s. So 1900s. So I would assume it's got to be somebody from there. And I'm only because he also talks about with, I think, a 10 when they're like talking, he talks about how his hook hand, how he lost it as a price. So based on the track right now that Josh is going, because, you know, I've been trying to think about, you know, when all this is over, like what's going to happen to Sophie and Josh? So my thing is maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe Josh, because like right now we're assuming Josh is the one who destroys the world. So maybe Josh, you know, goes down that path, you know, from being poisoned with chlorine or whatever. Maybe he like kills Sophie or something or does something. He does everything really bad. And somehow he's given a second chance and he pays the price by like getting his hand cut off and having the hook hand. And then his job becomes to be like death. And he goes back in time and he like fixes everything and watches over everything. I don't know. I don't really know if it makes any sense. I'm just, I just want to know who it is. You guys can't tell because it's a podcast. I'm giving an amazing poker face. I haven't given Asia any hints. I'm obviously not going to confirm. I'm not spoiling this. It's only two more weeks till we get there. But we will get a resolution. We're not going to get in the first half. We're going to give it the last half of the book. I think it's like one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the end of the book. Ridiculous. Trust me, I did not like the reveal at the end. But I was also very young. I didn't really get it. If it's Josh, it's also Josh, his age a little bit, I think. Because it makes it seem like he's like a man. Like he's not, it's not 15-year-old Josh. This would be, I think, a little bit in the future. I don't know. Because like when I'm thinking of all the characters we know, like I don't know who else it could be. It's Nicholas Flamel. The secrets of the immortal Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas is my ref- I don't know. Again, I'm just throwing out. Well, what color is Nicholas's hair? Paranel. Nicholas has black hair. I don't even know some of these details, but and he has very distinctly gray eyes, and Paranel has distinctly green eyes. Well, I also—it's not a woman. You don't know that. It's a man. Matthew, transgender death. <laughs> but like, but I'm saying, so like, if we if I identify that it's we're saying it's a guy, so then we narrow our guy characters, like. Prometheus and Josh are the only guys we've met with blue eyes. So that's why. I, I don't know. Also, There's to me, that would Prometheus is Marefu, young Prometheus, old Prometheus. Also, to me, that would it would also make sense because since everyone else like doesn't recognize him at all, whereas like I feel like if it was one of the other immortals, they would all look exactly the same because they're immortal. Josh is not immortal yet, so he could change how he looks. Like you know what I mean? Again, it's a lovely theory. And I'm then, not what color confirm. is his hook? Is his hook silver? His hook is, like, described as, like, multicolored, which his hook, and I'm, like, my theory, this is regardless of your theory, 
and this is regardless of what I like, I might be like spot on the money. So I don't know if this counts as a theory. Like, it's just like my memory acting up. But my personal belief is that somehow the swords become the hook. Oh, so then I don't know that. What color? What that color could be. Is, com- what color is the D's sword? Hair? The swords. Are, I don't remember what D has. Like he just keeps getting described as a short gray man. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> gray man. Um, well, yeah, because he's like described as old. But that's what I'm saying. I think it's Josh. Because besides D, like Josh is attached to the swords right now. That's my just like because the swords keep the hook keeps getting described as like changing colors and the hook and the swords are like modeled like gray, but like whenever they use like their powers, they like ignite with like flames of color. So I'm again, this could be like an actual thing that happens, and my memory is just like, here you go, Charles. Remember this from a decade ago. But I feel like somehow the swords become the hook or they're involved with the hook or they create the hook or something like that. Well, if that's the case, then I no also... No matter who Morethu is. I still bet that it's Josh. Well, I just don't know who again, else it I'm could not be. spoiling. I just don't know who else it could be. I'm, of- I'm, I'm guaranteeing it's Paranel. I'm not spoiling, but Paranel is Morethu. <laughs> Very funny. Just like like nine-year-old Paranel, like looking at all the ghosts, following her around, and then like she sees herself in a mirror, and herself in a mirror is like, one day you will marry a man who will have a metal book. And she's like, it's another person. And then she like follows Nicholas and Saint Germain around, and she's like dressing up with a hook, and she's like, this is how you read the codex. I'm much smarter than you, husband. And then she goes up to Saint Germain, and she's like, you can't do fire. Let me show you. It's not Paranel, but wouldn't it be funny if it was? Okay. Okay. Well, we have to keep reading and find out who it is. <laughs> That'll be a big reveal in two episodes. We do have a, one more big reveal today. We are announcing our next series. And our next series we'll be covering is the Twilight series by Stephanie Meyer. Yeah, Stephanie Meyer. Obviously, we have two more weeks of Flamel because we have the two episodes of The Enchantress. But we'll be starting Twilight soon. So if you want to read or you want to get your hands on the book... You have a little bit of advance notice. Yes, and we're super excited because, as I'm sure you all know, our cover art is based off of the Twilight cover, and I love Twilight. It's one of my favorite young adult series that I read when I was a kid, and I'm just really looking forward to Charles reading it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say, and I've read it multiple times, so it'll be really fun to just discuss it with him especially since he's never read it before and he's never really even seen the movie so he literally has no idea what's in store so it's definitely gonna be super i mean fun. i know there's vampires but you don't know anything actually about the story fully uh, well one of the characters is named edward cullen and fun fact my biological brother's name is cullen and he was named that well before these series came out and cullen got so much flack when the twilight series came out because people were like but he did once get a really awesome shirt that said OCD obsessive Cullen disorder, which like obviously had only come into existence because of Edward Cullen. And then my sister got that for my brother once and it was a really sweet gift. And it was like the correct spelling of his name because now people actually knew how to spell Cullen. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to read it. It's kind of like, it's the perfect series for us to read because it goes really goes to like what we've been hoping for is like, why a adolescent to young adult literature and like Asia has read it multiple times and I've never read it. So it's really like exactly what we wanted this podcast to be. And 
like I kind of like saved reading it until we like launched the podcast. I mean, we've been talking about this podcast for a long time and then it was a quite like we were building the process of like producing it and stuff like that. And we're really happy to be doing it with the nerd party. It's like an awesome, we're really happy to be part of it. But like during the pandemic, I could have read Twilight. We had plenty of time, but like I've saved it so that you guys will get my honest first impressions a year into the pandemic. So you are welcome, dear listener. We'll be reading it soon. But before we fit, before we get into it, let's um, do our regular warlock check-in. I'm declaring now that Josh was the necromancer and Machiavelli was the warlock. He's our big oathbreaker in this one. He's like, I'm not going to do it. He's the one who explains what an oathbreaker is. So we're proud of you, Niccolo. Michael Scott, tweet at us. If we're wrong, let us know. But that's what I'm saying the official stance of Throwback Paperback is. Or if Are you anything, good with that, Asia? I definitely agree with Machiavelli being the warlock, but maybe Josh just doesn't get a book. And D is the magician <laughs> and the necromancer because Josh really is nothing. So, because he's not really a Josh necromancer is either. Both nothing in Asia's mind, and he's also Marethu? Yes. That's why, because. What if there was a. T- also, because that would make sense, because if he becomes Marethu, that means Josh is like wiped from existence because he becomes <laughs> death. But what does it say about the series if D gets two books? Is it the secrets of the immortal John D? I don't know. I just, it doesn't, like, Machiavelli makes sense for the warlock, but, like, for sure. Josh also doesn't fully make sense because he he didn't actually learn necromancy. He didn't actually necromance. He didn't yeah. raise anything from the dead. Quite like he was alive. It was a full-on lie. Also, are you sure, like, because he could have just called the books that, because, you know, those are the people, like, those are the things we learn about in the series. Okay, or it did- just seems a little too intentional, especially because Paranel is always called Sorceress. Well, is Sophie going to be called the Enchantress? Yes. I'm confirming now. Sophie is the Enchantress. But so I'm saying, if we say those, if we say she's called, Paranel's called the Sorceress, Nicholas is clearly the Alchemist, Machiavelli is, is now the Warlock, like D is the Magician, but he's also then, who's the Necromancer? <gasps> Josh is the Necromancer because he becomes death. So he is raising the dead. That's what it is. That's what it I mean, is. it fits into Asia's theory quite nicely. Nice little conspiracy theory moment. That's what it we're is. Saying that Je- we're seeing that Josh is a necromancer because he chooses necromancy in book four. But sure, whatever Asia wants for her theory. Well, tweet at us, Michael Scott, to confirm either way. Don't confirm Asia's theory until we've read it. And we'll, you know, plot along. Next week, we're reading the final book. We're reading the first half of The Enchantress. So we're reading chapters one through 40. So if you're reading The Enchantress along with us, read up to there. And if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to talk about the Nicholas Flamel series more, remember that you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and on facebook.com slash thenerdparty. To find me, I'm at asiaboni on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. Yeah, if you know who Marethu is, you can tweet at me. Don't tweet at Asia because she's still got a theory. Or, like, message me. Or you can write to Throwback Paperback, and I will confirm Marethu's identity. But to you directly, not on the podcast until two weeks from now. But I'm C. E. Sheeland on Twitter and Instagram. Remember that we're a relatively new podcast, so make sure that if you enjoyed this, you rate and review us. That helps us go up in the ratings. It helps 
Our shows show up in algorithms and podcasts, search engine apps, thingamajiggies. And share it with your friends, of course, and check out the awesome other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.